Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the, the truths that we just sang and also the truths that we just read in the scripture. God, it's such a privilege to gather together weekly and to be reminded not only of who you are, but whose we are. And now, God, as we open up your word, we ask that you would meet with us, speak to us. God, I, as I do every week, personally ask you, God, to allow me to communicate this word in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. I can't do that without you. And God, we can't hear this, see it, understand it without Christ. Just like we saw last week, God, we have a veil that blocks us from seeing. And so we pray today that your Holy Spirit would, through Christ, help us to see and to know and to love these truths, even as they challenge us. We thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you got a Bible, turn to John chapter 19. As you can tell, I've got uh, a prop here with me, and it's not just a prop per se, but I mentioned this last week in our message talking about the crowns that they put on Jesus's head. And I had mentioned that here on our property in Canton, we had these thorn bushes that um, were pretty gnarly, and some people on our staff had made them into a crown of thorns, one of our former staff members, and I forgot one of our current staff members, Zip, actually still had it. And so this is a crown of thorns that was made from crowns here on our property, and as you can tell, it's pretty gnarly. And to be honest with you, I'm quite scared of it. Um, even bringing it out here this morning, I was like, oh gosh, I hope I don't hurt myself. Um, and, you know, stage is dark backstage, and I did poke myself, but thank goodness I'm not bleeding. Um, but you can see that this crown here would be something like they fashioned and put on to the head of Christ. And as I told you last week, I mean, that would have been great to bring out. Jesus actually took on our curse, and that's what these crowns represent. And so when you think about what we bring forth, this is what we bring forth. This is what we produce. This is what we cause to happen in life. And if you ever wonder why life is so frustrating, it's because this is what we bring forth. We bring forth things that hurt us. And Jesus allowed those things that we brought forth to hurt him, to crush him. And so significantly, it's important to understand, if you weren't here last week, you can go watch that message so that you can understand deeply what I'm talking about. And that's what the verses on the screen were about when it says, they put this crown of thorns on his head. He literally was carrying our curse. He literally was carrying the things that we brought forth. We brought forth this curse of sin, and then he carried that on his head. And we're taking this really month to look at John chapter 19 as we get closer and closer to Easter, which is coming in a couple weeks. We just talked about that. And next, the next two weeks, we'll actually get into the crucifixion itself. But last week and this week is kind of the, 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 
beginning part of that. And so if you have your Bible in John 19, we're gonna be in verses eight through 16 today. And this is kind of the last ditch effort from Pilate to release Jesus before he is to be crucified. And just like last week with these crowns, there's some significant things that were going on, some, some deeply theological uh, truths that we need to understand that was happening. They weren't just happenstance. As I told you, the Roman soldiers had no idea when they fashioned this crown of thorns to make fun of Jesus, to put it on his head. They had no idea that there was huge theological significance to what they were doing. And in the same way, this week, we're going to see Pilate has no idea of the deeper theological issues going on. So let's jump in. John chapter 19, starting in verse 8. It says, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now let's stop and chat there for a second. When we start a sermon like that, you have to understand when he heard this statement, you're like, what statement? Well, that's why we had the verses on the screen. The statement that Pilate heard that made him even more afraid is when the Jewish people said, this guy has made himself out to be the son of God. Now, to the Jewish people, that idea of someone claiming to be the son of God or claiming to be God was blasphemous. In fact, that's why they wanted Jesus killed. Because if there was anybody throughout human history that would have had a belief system that, that God could become a, a person, it wouldn't be the Jewish people. In fact, this is one of the, the biggest proofs for Christianity because the Jewish people would have never made up a story like this, ever. I mean, if there's one group of people that would have never believed that God would have become a man, it was the Jewish people. And yet, all the early followers of Jesus were Jewish because... They saw the dude come back to life again. And that right there is a proof in and of itself because the Jewish people would have never made up a story like this, ever. Because they would have been the last people on the planet to believe that this uncreated, I mean, this uncreated creator, they were so reverent of him, they wouldn't even say his name. They wouldn't even say Yahweh. They used other names, so the idea that he was actually someone that you could see and touch and talk to would have never, never crossed their mind. So to the Jewish people, it was blasphemous. But you have to remember, Pilate is Roman. Roman people didn't think that in the same way that there was one, that there was just one God, they were polytheistic, and they definitely believed that these gods would interact with human beings. In fact, if you know anything about Greek mythology and all the Greek gods, you know there's a lot of movies that we have with gods in this idea like Zeus and you know Hermes and all these other Greek kind of mythological legends. Well, the Romans were very influenced by the Greeks, just like a lot of societies have been. And so when the Romans took over the Greeks, in fact, that's why we call it Greco-Roman because it's kind of a combination of Greek and Roman ideas the Romans didn't believe in one God. They believed in a bunch of gods. And not only do they believe in a bunch of gods, these gods would have offspring. And, you know, again, you get into all that mythology stuff. It's really super weird. 
But they believed that these gods would interact with human beings and you could have divine men. You could have divine people. And their gods had names like, let's see if you've ever heard of these. They had names like Jupiter, names like Mars, names like Mercury, Saturn, Venus. You ever heard of these names before? What are they? Planets. Did you know that that's where the name of our planets came from? It came from the Romans. Because they looked up there and like they could see those are the five visible planets through without telescope and so they could see them and so they named Jupiter. Jupiter is the biggest and so he was the king of all gods. Mars because he was that was red, that was the god of war. Mercury that was the one that was fast. It goes, or it rotates the fastest. So that was the messenger of the gods. Saturn, that was the slowest one. It takes like 29 earth years. That was the god of agriculture. Venus, that was the brightest. That's the god of love and beauty. Isn't it amazing? And by amazing, I'm not saying we should worship Roman gods. I'm just saying they thought that these gods were up there and they could identify those planets and so like, oh, there's the five gods. And then even later when we got telescopes, we could see other ones. We still named them after Roman gods like Neptune and others. And so this concept that one of those gods, i.e. planets would interact with our planet and produce divine people was very much a Roman concept. And now Pilate has just learned that this cat might be one of those divine men and he just flogged him. He just beat him and he's thinking, oh my gosh, I just beat one of the kids of those things up there. And so he freaks out. And this is why he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, where are you from? Where are you? Here's what he's asking. And this is what, he's like, what planet are you from? You catch that? Like Superman, right? From some other planet. Isn't it amazing? Like all of our great stories come out of things that the Bible even references and talks about. He's like, what planet are you from, bro? You got some supernatural power? You about to shoot lasers out your eyes at me? And Jesus doesn't answer him, which is itself a fulfillment of prophecy because it says he would be beaten and would not say anything. Well, that in and of itself makes Pilate mad. Look at this, verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? I mean, you can hear the inflection there. This is why, again, when you read the Bible, don't just read it like, you will not speak to me? No, he's mad. You won't speak to me? And then this is what he says. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Don't you know who I am? That's what Pilate's saying. I have authority. Basically what he's saying is, I don't know what planet you came from, but on this planet, at this moment in time, I have authority. I wish my voice was like James Earl Jones when I could say that, like, right? like real deep. And this is another way of saying, 
Pilate's saying, I have something, but it's interesting, the word here, it comes out of being, so he's like, I am something. It's like when God said, I am. It's like when Jesus said, I am. But now Jesus speaks, look at this. And, and I don't think Jesus is meant, like, Jesus isn't getting in a fighting contest here with Pilate, but I just gotta say, what Jesus says just makes me love him even more. Look at what he says. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, don't miss the irony of this. Again, no Roman mythology. The planets, where are they in relation to us? They're above right? They're above us, which is not entirely how, it depends on where the rotation, sometimes it might be below us, but they're outside of us. So Pilate is asking Jesus, hey, are you from above? Is that where you're from? Are you some kind of divine man? And Jesus doesn't answer that, but what Jesus does say is the authority you have, it's been given to you from above. See, Pilate wants to know where Jesus is from and Jesus is telling Pilate where his power is from, where his authority comes from. In essence, what Jesus is saying is you keep wondering if I'm over you and what you don't understand is there is someone over you. You don't have all authority. You have a relegated authority. You have a limited authority. See, it's ironic because Pilate wants to know where Jesus is from, and Jesus is telling Pilate where his authority is from. And this brings up something that I want to talk about, which is the issue of authority. Where does authority come from? Jesus says to Pilate, you would only have this authority or you only have this authority because it was given to you from above. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to write down. All authority comes from the author. All authority comes from the author. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll see that's not necessarily a play on words, but the word author is in the word authority. You see that? In fact, the word authority is author a T. In fact, let me show you on the next slide what I mean by that. The word authority is made up of two words, author a T. Here's what author means. Author means the maker of anything, creator or originator. We understand author, right? We typically use the word author when we're writing something. And if you're the author of it, that means you wrote it. If you didn't, someone else did, and you took it as your own, that's called plagiarism, which we gotta be careful, AI, like writing papers and stuff for us today, right? 
You're not the author of it. Someone else is. So we get that. But then the suffix I-T-Y, this is what I think is so cool. And, and yes, I Greek out it. Or I just said I Greek out. <laughs> I geek out. I Greek out too. That's pretty awesome. And no, I don't mean, you know, like uh, things that college kids do. All right. A suffix used to form abstract nouns expressing state or condition. So let me put these two words together for you. So authority is an author in the condition of making or creating. So when you have authority, what that means is I live in the condition or the state of the one that's making. So if I have authority, what that means is I live in the state or condition. And think of the word state, even how we use the word states. That's how this is used in the same kind of concepts. I live here. But I'm not just living somewhere. I'm living within the ability to do something. So an author is one who creates. And when that author creates, they have authority because they're living in the condition. They possess the quality of creating something. So here's what we have to understand. All authority comes from the author. I can't have authority if in not some way or somehow it was granted to me by the one who lives in the state or the condition of being the author. And this is why the concept of God as creator is so theologically important. You know, if you were alive, it's funny to think of now, I heard someone say in the late 1900s, that was the 90s. <laughs> when I graduated high school, right? The 80s, the 70s, the 60s. In the last century, one of the great theological battles was the battle between creation versus evolution. And there's all kinds of different theological positions, but the one that is so crucial to understand, and just so you know, we believe in creation. We do not believe in macroevolution, the, the concept that one species can transform over time and actually jump into another kind of species. We have zero evidence of that. Now, microevolution, one person changing over time, yes, we have evidence of that, i.e., you're bigger than you were when you were a child. You're changing over time. But you're not jumping into a new species. That can't happen. But that fight raged on, and, and to some, if, if people feel like it's settled now, and at least somewhat in the scientific community, but it's still a theory. But this is why the argument of creation is such an important theological one, because whoever created is the author, and whoever is the author has the authority. And so the concept that God didn't create something, but this is all big bang, random chance over billions of years, takes out God as the authority. Why do you think secular people want so badly to take God out of it? Because if the author's out, 
They have authority. And here's where the issue of authority becomes very personal for us. Who do you see as the author of your life? Who do I see as the author of? Where do I get my authority? Where do I get the ability to create or make something happen? Make no mistake, Pilate has authority, but it's an authority that was delegated to him. It didn't originate with him. In fact, let's go to another set of scriptures. If you want to turn there, Acts chapter 4. I have it on the screen, or you can just write it down as a reference. Let's look at how the Bible speaks about the Bible, which is the best way to study the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. And that's why it's so important, even in the Old Testament, as I'll show you in a minute, because the Old Testament is so crucial to understanding the New Testament. You can't understand the new without the old. Look at how the early apostles understood this event right here in John 19, Acts 4, 24 through 28. And when they heard it, this was the early believers, they lifted their voice to God and said, and what happened is Peter and the other disciples had just healed somebody and now they were being questioned by the Jewish leaders. Now they said, now they're gonna quote Psalm 2. Sovereign Lord, now listen to this, who made the heaven. What do the planets exist? Heaven. Sorry, I didn't make that clear enough for you, all right? <laughs> Up there, right? Who made the planets? Not these Roman gods, but this God. See, that's what's amazing. The Roman gods thought the planets were God, but Christians think, no, our God made your gods, your supposed gods, your planets. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, i.e., he's the author. Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. This is where he's going to quote, or they're going to quote Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, that's Jesus, and against his anointed, that's Jesus. But here's what's amazing. Against the Lord, that's God. And against the anointed, you know what the word anointed is, the Greek word? Literally Christ. You know, Jesus isn't, or Jesus is his name, Christ is his title. So Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the anointed. So what these early church leaders were doing when they were being persecuted is they went back into the Old Testament. Psalm 2, this is why you have to remain connected to the Old Testament. And they're reading Psalm 2, verses 1 through 2 to interpret the events that are happening. What happened? All these kings came against Jesus. Now look at how they applied it, verse 27. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius who? Let's read that again. I want you to say it, all right? Both Herod and Pontius who? Isn't that the dude Jesus was talking to? See, the early church leaders understood that Pilate didn't have all authority. And when Jesus told him, you wouldn't have authority unless it came to you from above, 
they understand that's because God had foreordained for this to happen. Along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, verse 28, here's the crucial verse. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, let's stop and chat about this for a second. Because every time Christians see the word predestined, it's like somebody just ran over their beloved animal. They freak out. Because every time we hear this word predestined, we know what it means. Pre means beforehand. It's a prefix. It's like prefix, pre. Like, can you get more prefix than pre? Because pre is in the word prefix, right? It's before. And in the word destined, you know what that means? Means this is gonna, it means appointed. This is gonna happen. So watch this. Before Jesus was facing Pilate, God had already pre, beforehand, destined what was gonna take place. That's why Jesus could so confidently say, bruh, you wouldn't have this authority unless it was given to you. Now, this is when people think, well, if God predestined it, then Pilate's just a robot. He had no choice. That feels wrong. And you're right, it is wrong. You understand that? You're right, it is wrong. Yeah. Pilate had the choice. Pilate was free to choose. But this is when you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just said that God determined beforehand that this was what was gonna happen. Yeah, that's what I said. And you just said that Pilate has the free choice to decide if this is gonna happen. Yeah, that's what I said. Which one is it? Yes, I've taught you well. I can go home, Lord. Come quickly. Yes. And, and listen to me. Just because we can't understand something doesn't mean it's not true. In fact, let me go one step further, and I'm saying this because I love you, because I get this question all the time, and it's okay. But listen to me. Do you understand how arrogant it is of us to say, if I can't understand it, it can't be true? You understand how arrogant that is? Because here's what you just said. If this eight pound gray matter can't understand it, can't be true. The world and its infiniteness is limited to what happens between these two ears. That's arrogant. There are so many things I don't understand, but I've accepted. Like women. Right? I do not understand. And I love my wife. She is a complex creature. But I've just accepted that. Right? Every man in the room is like, wow, I've never, you just explained the sovereignty of God and the free will of, yes, I did. See, I do not have to understand how it all works. 
in order to accept it as true. In fact, again, how arrogant would it be for me as a man to say, I understand a woman because I ain't one. And no matter what, I can't be one. And what I know, because I've been married now for 20 years, most women don't even understand women. Yeah, and, and here's, and, and ladies, and I'm, I'm not talking bad about you because I want you to understand something. It makes total sense to me that you're the most complex because you were the last created. God saved the best for last. Yeah. See? Yeah. Don't hear me saying women as complex is bad in the same way. Please do not hear me saying God is sovereign as bad. It's not. But that's what we wrestle with because what happened was bad. And when bad things happen, our first thought is there's no way God can be good. Reference verse, I don't have this on the screen, but I've mentioned it several times before. You might want to write it down. Genesis 50 verse 20. It's when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and a lot of bad things happened to him. And then he raises up through the ranks in Egypt, the world power at that time to number two in command. And then he has the opportunity to have grace on his family. A rather famous line, Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Here's what I want you to hear me say and why this issue is so important. Pilate meant it for evil. The Romans meant it for evil. The Jewish people meant it for evil. It wasn't good, but God meant it for good. And here's what you need to understand. If God is not sovereign, then nothing can be good. It's just bad. The New Testament equivalent, Romans 8, 28. God works everything for good for those that are called according to his purpose. So for his glory and our good, God is working all things. Even what, I love how John Piper says it, spectacular sins. Is there a more spectacular sin than killing the son of God? Is there a worse thing that has happened in human history than killing the son of God? No. But even that, God is sovereign over and can use for good. So don't hear me saying the bad things are good. I'm not saying that. They're bad. And evil people have evil intentions. And we don't even have to talk about the people out there, the people in here. You evil with evil intentions. But God can use the evil choices of human beings that are free to make them in a, in a way that we can understand, which is why Isaiah says his ways are higher for good. And there's no better example of that than Jesus. That's why Jesus could confidently say, the only authority you have has been given to you. Let's move back to John chapter 19, verse 12. 
From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is what I find rather ironic with the Jewish people at this time. They don't like Caesar. In fact, if you would have asked them outside of this scenario, if there was one wish that they would have wanted to be granted, it was for Caesar to be overthrown because Rome is in charge in their homeland. They are not free to do what they want to do. They are under the authority of another king. But here's what's crazy. But they're using that as a way to manipulate a process to bring an outcome that they want. If that doesn't describe modern politics, I don't know what does. And and this is why I say this often. As Christians, we have to be very careful. In fact, it's gonna happen next year when we vote in a new president that we don't sell out our loyalty to someone who has an authority that's delegated to them as somehow that they are king. They're not king. But even Christians, even Jewish people, people who claim to love God can use power as a way to manipulate processes for their own gain. The Jewish people would have never said that they were on Caesar's side. In fact, it gets worse. Look at this, verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the stone pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Verse 14, now was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. Last week was behold this man. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Listen to this. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. They have put all their eggs in the basket of a wicked man. Why? Well, unbeknownst to them, it's because that was what was predestined for them to do. But they freely chose it. Why? Because of the evil intentions of their own heart. Because they would rather, watch this, they would rather someone that was a man that they thought acting like a king than the actual king of kings be over them. They would rather Caesar, who had earthly power, be a king over them than this man, who actually was the king, be over them. And here's what I need you to hear me say. I think we need to give the Jewish people a little bit of a break Because when we read this story, we're looking back through the lens of human history and thinking, how in the world could they do this to Jesus? 
but we can miss the log in our own eye and see how we do it every day too. What does that mean? I wanna go to the two phrases that the Jewish people said because they said some pretty profound things. But I wanna make some changes. First, they said, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. But I'm gonna reword it to this and I've got it here on the screen. Everyone who makes himself a king doesn't oppose Caesar, but opposes Christ. See, they were correct. That inside the human heart is this compulsion to act like we are our own author. To act like we have our own authority. And what we don't understand is when we take our, and, and don't, God has given us some authority. But we don't have all authority. But here's what happens. And it's the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. And it's been happening to every human being since, except for Christ. We take our little bit of authority and we raise it up as though we have all authority and we make ourselves out to be kings and queens. But what we don't understand when we do that, we're not opposing Caesar, this little king for a while. We're opposing Christ, the king of kings. And yes, the Jewish people got it wrong, but they got the sentiment right. They chose the wrong king. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about Barabbas, who his name means the son of the father. And they chose Barabbas over Jesus because of course they would choose the son of their father, who Jesus said in John 8 was the devil. They wouldn't choose the son of the father because God wasn't their father. And I made the point to you, there's only two kingdoms. There's only two kings. It's binary. There's only two choices. And here's what I'm saying. Every single one of us choose exactly how they choose. We choose the wrong kings. And not just political leaders, which again is another reason I don't understand when Christians freak out every four years. Either God is sovereign or he's not. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote. We should totally vote. We should totally look at the Bible and vote for the person that lines up with that the most, but we should never sell out our loyalty to that person and somehow let that person, let me say it like this, we should never become more Republican than we are Christian. We should never become more Democrat than we are Christian. We should never become more political than we are theological. But just like we're so tempted to vote someone else in, every single day we're so tempted to vote ourselves in like we know better than the king, like we know better than God, who is the author. He made heaven, he made earth, he made the sea and everything in it. And here's what we need to know. This is the very air we breathe in our culture. 
Yes, our culture is godless. I don't think you have to be very smart to understand that. But we don't understand how quickly the same ideas creep into our own lives. Because our culture says things like, my body, my choice. But 1 Corinthians says, you were bought with a price. It's not your body. Therefore, glorify God with your body. But do you understand how as Christians, we do the same thing? It's my body. It's my gifts. It's my talents. This happens in church all the time. It's my money. In fact, one of the things that, that I hear often, pastors hear often, all, all the time, I don't like church. All they want is my money. Can I just let you in on a secret? We have never once asked you for your money. Never. You want to know why? Because it ain't your money. <laughs> all we've ever asked is for God's money. All we've ever asked of you is for God's time. All we've ever asked of you is for God's talents. All we've ever asked for you is for what God has given you. You understand that? God gave you. God made you. And in Christ, God remade you. And he's remaking you now. Everything that you have and everything that you are has been given to you from above. But when you and I take what was given to us and we act like we're the ones with all the authority, then we're making ourselves out to be kings and queens and we oppose Christ. So let me leave you with this question. The second thing that the Jewish people said, we have no king, but you fill in the blank. See, they said we have no king, but Caesar. They sold Jesus out for political purposes. And Christians do that all the time. But this message to be honest with you, is a hard message to preach. I was talking to one of our guys last week in production about the message, and he said, you know, the weekends he serves on camera, he just feel like God needs him to hear that message three times. And it, you know, it really hit him last week. And I said back to him, imagine having to preach it three times. Not just hear it three times, say it three times. Because I can feel like such a fraud in saying it. Let me say it like this. Saying to you what you need to do, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, Jason, what about you? What do you need to do? <sighs> See, I have to look at my own life and say, in what areas Am I currently opposing Christ because I've made myself my own king in that area? Is it financial? Is it relational? See, if you have no king but Christ, Christ will say, forgive others. Do you understand if you say you can't forgive others, you're making yourself your own king and you're opposing Christ? 
See, when Jesus was talking to Peter in Matthew 18 about forgiveness, and Peter goes, okay, okay, okay. How many times should I forgive? Like seven? And Peter thought he was being gracious. Not just one time, seven times. Okay, I can do that. And Jesus is like, no, 77 times. And then some translations say 70 times seven. On our Thursday night gathering, I said 149 because I was real excited and couldn't do math quickly, but that's 490. So is it seven? Is it 77? Is it 490? Here's what it is. It means quick counting. How many times should I forgive? Completely, God says. See, that's the significance of seven. The number seven means completeness or perfection. God's saying, don't just count to seven. Don't just count to 77. Don't just count to 490. Consider it gone. Quit counting. So do you understand when we say I can't forgive, we're opposing Christ? When we say things, it's my body, we're opposing Christ. It's my money, we're opposing Christ. It's my life, you're opposing Christ. And the Spirit of God wants to speak to each of us and say, there is no king but Christ. And you need to quit playing God in these areas of your life. Because if you make yourself a king in that, you're opposing Christ. So I don't know what that is for you. But I hope all of us, including myself, can get to the point where we can say we have no king but Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of not only what Jesus said, but who Jesus is. He is the truth. Therefore, of course, what he says is the truth. And God, thank you that even though we all make ourselves kings and queens of our own life, we all exalt ourselves. You, the king of kings, humbled yourself and you took on our curse by taking on our crown of thorns and you killed it. So that the spirit at work within us could be killed and we could be born again with a new spirit that says we have no king but Christ. God, I know there are people here today that have never gotten to that point of surrender where they have understood that you made them and then they made a mess of what you made. But then in Christ, you can remake them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you have never trusted Christ, if you have never placed Christ as your king by believing that he took your curse on these crown of thorns, then today you can confess that you have been opposing Christ and by grace, through faith, 
you can be saved. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for me, to take on my curse. And today I make him my king. I ask you to forgive my sins, take my sins, forgive them, give me new life, and empower me to live as a child of the king. Again, no one looking around or talking here as we close. If you just trusted Christ for the first time and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift up your hand? We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. If you're in person or online, you'll have an opportunity to follow up with us. Let us know. But then those of us who have trusted Christ, but yet, the Spirit is bringing to mind some areas of your life where you keep exalting yourself. You keep acting like you have the authority. I don't know what that is for you, but I know we have, all have them. We all have areas in our life where Jesus just isn't ruling and reigning over. But I'm telling you, you want Jesus ruling and reigning over it because he can make it good. If we will live life under the kingship of Jesus, he will bring about what we can't. So I pray whatever area that is for you that you would surrender. Say, God, I'm sorry for opposing you in this area of my life but I want no other king but Jesus. God, thank you. As I said last week, there's no story like this. There's no God like this. And we pray that we would continually every day be reminded by this fact that if we make ourselves a king today, we're opposing Christ. And so I pray, God, that our prayer would be we have no king but Christ. And then we would trust you with the rest. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name, amen.